Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to us, which includes helping us to become like you. Please use the words of Scripture to help us do just that. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Earlier this year, I I heard a story which I'm sure is made up, but it makes a good point, uh, about a woman who was got cut off in traffic, and so she started swerving and swearing and tailgating, all of which was accompanied by hand motions. And there was a policeman there who saw all of this, so he pulled her over, arrested her, and took her to the station, which seemed kind of severe to her. Well, after checking on some things, the policeman came back out of the station and said, Ma'am, I am so sorry. This was my mistake. It's just, you see, I saw the way you were driving, and then I saw the Jesus fish on the back of your car and the bumper sticker that said, This car is prayer conditioned, and I just assumed you'd stolen the car. (laughs) That could have been about me, but um, it wasn't. Do you ever feel that between the you you'd like to be and the you that you really are, there's a gap? I know there is for me. Maybe you want to be a peace-filled person instead of being eaten alive with anger or agitated by lust. Or you want to be a patient person or a person who gives generously and actually enjoys it, or or never yells at their kids, or gossips, or all kinds of things. And, And you kind of think that you actually are that person until someone cuts you off in traffic, or you see someone of the opposite sex and you start to lust, or your kids act up. I mean, just try being patient with a three year old. I dare you. Right? I double dog dare you. That's why God gave us kids to remind us that we're not perfect, right? And then you end up wondering, what's wrong with me? How come the good thing I really want to do, I don't do? And the rotten things I don't want to do, I end up doing? Why can't I be the person that I want to be? Well, I got some good news for you today. You can be the person that you want to be. You can be a genuinely peace-filled, joy-filled, loving, generous person. Really that way. Not simply pretending to be that way. Which is important, because I think sometimes when we see the gap between who we are and who we want to be, we think that's just too big of a gap and real transformation, that's not ever going to happen, I'm not ever going to get there. So we just end up faking it, pretending that we're good. We repaint instead of repent. (laughs) Right? Am I talking to someone today? Right? We paint over all of our flaws, paint over all of our problems and insecurities, and churches are filled with this, right? People pretending that our families are perfect, our thoughts are perfect, our actions are perfect. It's praise God this and hallelujah that and pass the Lord, praise or pass the salt, praise the Lord. You know, or pass the Lord, praise the salt. I suppose you could do that too. (laughs) But it's just kind of phony and it's not really real, right? And that's not just limited to Christians. Our culture has raised posing to an art form. See my job, see my house, see my salary. Aren't you impressed with me? And all of that posing just brings spiritual death. Because we're so busy working on the outside, we're not taking care of the inside. So we have the right degrees, we have the right jobs, you know, we we don't, you know, we sin the socially acceptable sins, not the bad ones, you know, a little gossip here, a little bullying there. But inside, we still think rotten thoughts, we still do rotten things when nobody's looking, and we have fears and insecurities that nobody knows about. 
And all of that leaves us feeling pretty lonely because we are so afraid that people are going to see what's really going on inside of us that we kind of hold them at arm's length. Faking just leads to spiritual death. And so does simply trying harder to be a good person. Because that's the other way that we try to bridge the gap between who we want to be and who we really are. We just try harder. Follow more rules. And and this just fits perfectly with our performance-driven culture, doesn't it? You know, just try harder, work more, follow more rules. But trying harder and following more rules does not make us good people. It just makes us want to rebel. Like the little boy in Sunday school class who was asked what a lie is, and he said, a lie is an abomination to God and a very present help in times of trouble. (laughs) We will find a way to sin, won't we? Right? If you don't think sin is addictive, just try quitting. <laughs> Trying harder doesn't work. That's what I call whack-a-mole theology. You know the game whack-a-mole you see in arcades where the little mole pops up and you whack it down, but then another one pops up over here, so you whack that one down? That's how we approach our spiritual lives, right? We think, oh man, I need to be a better person, so, so we whack down lust, but then pride pops up, so we whack that down, but then we yell at our kids too much, so then we whack that one down, and then there's impatience, and we whack, and we whack, and we whack, here, whack, there, whack, everywhere, whack, whack. <laughs> and then we just get exhausted because they keep popping up, and we're just exhausted and tired, and we give up, and we say, who invented this stupid game anyway? I'll tell you who invented it, pastors. <laughs> Here's more rules, do more things. Jesus didn't, right? Jesus did not say, I have come that you might have rules and have them abundantly. (laughs) He didn't say, he didn't come saying, you just need to work harder. That's what you guys need to do. Just try harder. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is what? Light. Isn't that a relief? Jesus did not die on a cross so that we could do better sin management. Jesus died on a cross so that we could be transformed from the inside out to be like him, which is pretty cool because he was a pretty cool guy, and I'd like to be like him. And isn't that what we all want deep down inside? The person caught in a sexual addiction deep down, isn't what they want most in life is to be free from that maddening desires that they can't control? The angry person deep down, don't they want to know peace? The joyless person deep down, isn't what they really want to be filled with joy? And I think that's where today's verse can change your life. Because in it, the Apostle Paul uses the metaphor of an athlete in training to describe the process of spiritual transformation. And that is a life-changing metaphor. Because you see, there is a difference between trying and training. And that's a pretty important sentence. So if your mind is wandering right now, I want you to bring the ponies back into the barn for just a minute. You can go back to wandering when I'm done with this sentence. There is a difference between trying and training. We do not become like Jesus by simply trying harder. That doesn't work. But we can get there by training. We can retrain our hearts to have the heart and mind of Christ. It's like running a marathon. If I went out right now and tried to run a marathon, I probably couldn't. Even if I tried really, really hard, I probably wouldn't make it. But if I trained for a couple of months, I probably could do it. We can retrain our hearts. So let me get real practical. How do we retrain our hearts to have the heart and mind of Jesus? And please don't take anything I'm about to say as rules. These aren't rules. They're ways of retraining our hearts. First thing we need is a coach. Every athlete needs a coach 
to inspire them or motivate them or, or, or train them. And we Christians have a coach. His name is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And He can inspire us and motivate us and guide us. And He does that through those gentle nudges, those little thoughts we get in our minds from time to time that help us know when we've messed up, remind us that God loves us no matter what, and then those nudges that help guide us in times of decision. And our job is to get really good at recognizing those nudges when they come. And the way we do that is through practicing prayer and reading scripture to learn to recognize His voice. And then we got to cooperate with those nudges. Just like an athlete needs to cooperate with his coach. We need a coach. Second thing we need in order to retrain our hearts is teammates. We need other people. In sports, teammates inspire us to keep going when things get hard. And they give us confidence when, when we don't have any. And they, they cheer for us when we win. That's why we keep pushing you guys to get in some kind of small group so that you can have spiritual teammates around you to help you grow spiritually. That's why I'm glad so many of you men came on Tuesday to Men's Fraternity. It's a place where you can have spiritual teammates. And if you didn't come, come this Tuesday. They just get better and better every Tuesday, so just come. Friends can be teammates. Family members can be teammates. You probably have some teammates in your life. You just need to make those relationships more purposeful. By asking those people to help you grow spiritually. The third thing we need in order to retrain our hearts is we need training exercises to begin to lay down new patterns of behavior. Romans 12 says, In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the word transformed in Greek is the same word from which we get the word metamorphosis. Just like a caterpillar that becomes a butterfly, we can be transformed. And notice, it doesn't say to present our souls as a living sacrifice. It says to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. That's because what we learn in the body is remembered forever. What our bodies learn to do, we remember forever. It's just like riding a bike. We are not transformed by hearing information, as much as preachers would like to think that's how it works. We're transformed by doing what we hear. So, for instance, in order to become a peaceful person in our fast food world, sometimes our bodies need to be in solitude. In order to think the thoughts of God, sometimes our minds need to have scripture put into them. In order to break free of consumerism that gives us this constant anxiety to get more and more stuff, sometimes our bodies need to give away some of the stuff that we have. In order to break my body's addiction to comfort and focus on self, sometimes I need to serve in some other way to break that addiction. In order to get my attention off of myself, sometimes I need to sing praises to God in worship. We need training exercises that help us approach God through the four H's, head, heart, hands, and habits, whole life discipleship. And over time as we do these, we begin to become more like Jesus, just as an athlete in training gains strength and skill. This winter, I finally learned how to ski. I think I'm probably the only person in the church that doesn't know how to do that. And I had a coach for, for three days, and he spent about 10 minutes of those three days in the lodge describing the physics of skiing to me, which was interesting. And then we went up on the mountain. And as you know, at first skiing feels kind of unnatural, especially if you're a middle-aged man, you know, put your weight on the downhill ski and all that stuff. I mean, no, if, you know, I'm standing on the top of the hill. If I put my weight on the downhill ski, it is one long, slow slide down to the lodge, right? <laughs> on my face, right? So 
No downhill ski. But, but after three days, I began to just kind of pick it up. And I began to do it more and more automatically. Now, I'd even go to bed at night and I could still feel my legs moving, right? And I could feel my legs moving the way they're supposed to, you know. I was so good. <laughs> In my dreams. And along the way, these three days, my coach kept encouraging me. You know, he said, in order to ski, you need three things. You need courage, athletic ability, and a desire to get better. And he had this one through ten rating system. And he said, you know, desire to get better, Scott, you're an eight or a nine. Athletic ability, you're a nine. Courage, you're a nine or a ten. None of that was true. But it made me feel better. And it helped me ski better. Because he was encouraging me. That's training. I had a coach who instructed me, that's the Holy Spirit in our Christian lives. I had some friends who were with me on that trip that encouraged me, just like we need teammates in our spiritual lives, and I had training exercises, just like we need spiritual exercises to be like Jesus. Now, as I'm talking about all this retraining stuff, you might be thinking to yourself, oh man, that, all this sounds hard, right? Now I got to be transformed. Now, where am I going to fit that in? Maybe I can do it on my commute. Transformation on tape, do they have that, right? <laughs> That's why in order to grow spiritually, we need another thing. Time. Just like an athlete has to set aside time for training, we need to set aside time to do some of these spiritual training exercises. And in order to get that time, we may need to cut something out of our schedules. Maybe even something from church. Have fewer commitments. Limit the number of activities that our kids do. Because if we just try to add all of this onto our already busy schedules, we're going to get exhausted and burned out. We need some time. And I know I just blasphemed our culture by saying that you actually need to cut something out of your schedule. But the payoff is huge. Because transformed people don't feel the need to be busy all the time. Even if everyone else around them is. And wouldn't that be a relief? Coach, teammate, training exercises, time. And as we do these things... We become more like Jesus over time, just as an athlete, as he trains, becomes stronger and gains skills. And finally, the last thing we need to be transformed is we need to experience how much God loves us. So none of this feels like rules and regulations, but feels like it's coming from the heart of a loving father. And when we experience God's love, not in our heads, but in our hearts, it changes us. Because here's the deal, guys. God loves you. He didn't have to make you, but he made you because he loves you. One of our elders in this church is, is adopted and growing up kids used to tease her about being adopted and her response was always, oh yeah, well my parents chose me, yours just got stuck with you. <laughs> God didn't get stuck with you. He chose to make you because he loves you. And when we experience how much he loves us through prayer and worship and through just taking time to think about it, it begins to change us. There's a man in this church whose struggle in life right now is, is conflict. It's kind of a key issue for him. And he, he's in conflict with people he knows, people he works with, conflict with his wife. And as part of trying to improve all this, I suggested to him that every day he pray the prayer, Lord, show me my sin. Show me my part of the conflict. And he took my advice, the fool. Because of that, a few weeks later, he was in his garden weeding and he kind of started to feel sorry for himself. He said, man, I have a hard job. My job is just filled with conflict. And then that kind of morphed into, man, my life is filled with just difficult people. 
And then that kind of morphed into, man, wherever I go, there's conflict. And then that thought kind of started to change. He said, wait, 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 the, wherever, the common denominator. <laughs> so he went into the house and he asked his wife, do you think I create conflict? And she said, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> you steamroller people, you back them into a corner, you don't give them a chance to save face. Well, that kind of hit home. Later that evening, he called up a salesman who, who worked for him. And, and earlier that day, he chewed this salesman out for a mistake the salesman had made. And, and as they were talking, my friend just suddenly stopped. And he said, I want you to speak freely. Do I cause conflict? And the salesman said, really? I can speak freely? <laughs> my friend said, yeah, sure. The salesman said, well, since you ask, yeah, you steamroll people. And my friend said, what? What'd you say? The salesman said, you steamroll people. That was the second time my friend had heard that same word in just a couple of hours. And then the salesman went on with lots of furthermores and moreovers, taking the permission to speak freely a little too much to heart. But it made a point. So the next day I, I met my friend for breakfast and, and I could tell right away something was different. He just seemed, just seemed more relaxed. And he said, I had an epiphany last night. And he told me this whole story. And then he asked me, he said, do I do that? Do I steamroll people? And I said, oh, no, yeah, pretty much, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> but I also said, look, God made you a man of energy, passion, and drive. And I don't think you need to be a doormat. You just need to not steamroll people. Question is, how can you bring all this power you've got under control? So that same day, he went and had lunch with a salesman who he chewed out the day before. And he said to the salesman, will you please forgive me? And they went on to have a great conversation, which ended in the salesman hugging my friend. And then my friend went on to meet a couple other people that day. He also asked their forgiveness. He asked one of them, he said, do you feel pushed around by me? And she said, yeah, I do. And he said, will you please forgive me? I'm a Christian, but I've divorced that from my work, and, and I don't want to do that anymore. And she said, oh, wow, I'm really into self-help too. And, and she said, I, have this, I make a list of all these things I need to improve in myself. And my friend said, yeah, yeah, my list is the Bible. And I know I'm never going to be there fully, but that's, that's what I'm aiming for. And the Bible, that seemed weird to her, so he went on to tell her about Jesus. And they just had a great conversation. Well, at the end of that day, he called me up and he said this great thing. He said, I've discovered something. Humble pie tastes bitter when you first bite into it, but it's got a great aftertaste. Isn't that a great line? Remember, all of this happened after he started praying the prayer, Lord, show me my sin. Who says God doesn't answer prayer? That is a man in training. He wasn't trying harder. He was training. And that moment in the garden, that was the Holy Spirit acting as a coach, pointing something out to him that he needed to work on in a loving way. And he had teammates around him and his wife and me and other friends. And he took time for some training exercises, namely forgiving people that he'd hurt. And all of that has reshaped his heart just a little bit to be just a little bit more like the heart of Christ. Now, he's not done. He's going to be working on this for a long time. But I'd say he's just a little bit calmer. In fact, you can even notice it. At least I can. Pastor John Ortberg compares the process of spiritual transformation to a kid's show that used to be on TV called the Mighty Morphing Power Rangers. It was about ordinary kids who'd receive extraordinary powers to do these superhero things. And the rallying cry was, it's morphing time, it's morphing time, we're going to be transformed. And John jokes that he thinks that would make kind of a good church ritual. You know, the pastor could come out and say, it's morphing time. And the congregation could respond, we shall morph indeed. <laughs> I think that's a good idea. 
Because isn't that kind of what we're here for? To morph? Indeed? Right? I mean, because here's the truth. God loves you so much. He doesn't want you to feel all jacked up because you've got so much junk inside of you. He doesn't want you to feel eaten alive with anger or the pressure to succeed and perform. He doesn't want you to feel lonely and isolated because no one knows what's really going on inside of you. He wants you to know freedom from the addictions that bind you. He wants you to have authentic, genuine friendships. He wants you to have joy. And Jesus says, this is possible. You can do this. I will help. Jesus didn't die to make us do better sin management or to make us phony, fakey good or to teach us how to play spiritual whack-a-mole. Jesus died to make us people who walk in his power, speak with his authority, live in his integrity, shine in his victory, infect others with his joy and make a difference in his world. And imagine what would happen if all of us in this room, if all of us in this church got healed up and whole and fully alive in Jesus. What would that do for our families? What would that do for the people out there who desperately want this kind of healing? They just don't know it's available to them in Jesus. And then what would that do for you? Because instead of being junked up by sin, you'd be whole. Instead, instead of feeling grumpy and pressured you'd, and hassled, you, you'd have joy. Instead of feeling bored with life, the been there, done there, got the t-shirt kind of a thing, you'd, you'd be on this adventure with Jesus of changing his world with him. And you'd spread that joy to your friends and your family and your co-workers, and the world would know that Jesus is alive because of how passionately, fully, wonderfully alive he is in you. And the promise of Jesus is bit by bit by bit by bit, if we follow him, he will get us there. Church, it's morphing time. Good job, Presbyterians. Lord Jesus, that is our prayer. We do want to be different people. And we know that we cannot get our way there by trying harder. We can't get there by faking it. We only get there by you, Jesus. So we pray that you would be real and powerful and active in our lives so that we can look a lot more like you and we will give you the glory. We pray this in your name. Amen.